You know, it's pretty common to pick on the preacher. Uh, my kids make fun of me and say I say good morning the same way all the time, and they often greet me around the house in the same tone that uh, I usually say good morning. Um, I have a couple of guys who serve as uh, a nemesis for me around here. Um, they kind of sit over here. I got a couple of them. I won't name them by name. Uh, one of them texted me last week and said that if there was one more bone in the human body that we might have gone into October in the lesson uh, last week. So I think it means I'm loved, but I'm not sure. But we are grateful that you are here this morning. Your presence is an encouragement to us. Continues to be one of those years that we don't know what the last few months here hold or even what next year holds, but we're grateful that you're here. It continues to be a time where we're unsure and things are a little different. Uh, we have an example of that today, of course. We're glad that, that Vicki's able to be back with us and Nikki's with us as well. And it's one of those things when you talk about having uh, meals or showers or things like that, it's not as we normally get to do that, but we're grateful for a chance to try to, to honor some folks and to have time like that, even amongst a pandemic and things that seem very different. Uh, we continue to thank you for your being here. Uh, if you feel comfortable for your cooperation with all the things that we're trying to do that are a little different, just so we can, can do our best to be careful and be sure that we are uh, not doing things that might cause a virus or anything to spread any further. But we're certainly grateful that you are here as we think about encouraging ourselves for a few moments with the Word of God. You know, we can be reactionary a lot of times in our lives. Even as preachers, oftentimes we're reactionary in sermons. I think about this year, 2020. I don't know I, that I've ever preached on race before or racism, something that should be discussed from time to time, but it seems like we do that when things such as what have been going on in our world occur as they have here this year. Sometimes as we as preachers don't preach on the idea of taking advantage of our time or being careful with our lives, making the most and being prepared until there's a, a tragic accident and maybe a young person loses their life. And when that happens, then we preach on that kind of idea and being prepared. And even sometimes we don't preach on elders until we're down, as we say, to being one heartbeat away from someone dying, one of our elders dying, and then we have no elders. And so sometimes when that occurs, we are reactionary. The sermon today is a little bit like that, not exactly the same. We're not one heartbeat away, but at the same time, a, a month or so ago, Brother Charles read an, a letter from our brother Bill as he stepped down from the eldership due to his health, and it causes us to stop for just a moment and think about where we are as a congregation. I'm thankful this morning because this outline I'm borrowing from our brother Adam Fawn, who preaches for the Central Congregation in Kentucky, when I saw that he was preaching it a few weeks ago at his congregation, I said, you know, I know it'll be good because most of his sermons are, all of his sermons are, are good sermons to hear. But then I thought as I listened to it, you know, we find ourselves in the same position that they do and the reason why he preached this particular outline. You see, they're not in the middle of an elder search per se, but it's something as they think about the future that they wanted to plan for. And as we think about this fact, you know, we're not down to one heartbeat away. No, we're not putting names before the congregation today or, or next Sunday, at least not that I know of. So no, we're not going to go through the list in detail that's found in Scripture about who an elder should be or what an elder should be, each qualification. But what I'd like for us to do this morning is just to consider for a few moments together a challenge. And before we get to that challenge specifically, let me ask you a question. Who is it that is involved in preparing not only our young men, because we talk about our young men sometimes, but our men 
in preparing to be a elder, to be an elder, a leader in the congregation, is it the current elders? The answer is probably yes. They have a, a part in that. Is it our parents? Well, yeah, they probably play a role in that. They should help train their young men. Is it the ministers? Well, yeah, the preacher's supposed to preach on it, and maybe the youth minister helps in, in teaching our young men. Is it our teachers, our Bible class teachers? Well, again, the answer is yes, that, that we all play a role in helping not only our young men, because we sometimes do focus on them, but our men in knowing what it takes to be an elder, a leader in the congregation. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to be turning to Titus chapter 1 if you're not already there. And part of this challenge that we're going to look at this morning, part of this challenge has to do with the future. Maybe for the first time thinking past tomorrow. And that's not a knock necessarily on just the Saudi congregation, but many congregations in general. Typically, the only time we hear this sermon is in a reactionary way. It's in the midst of an elder search, so-called elder search. We're putting names before the congregation, or we're asking you to submit names, and we're going to start a ser the search for an elder, or maybe two or three elders. And then when we preach that sermon, half of you say, well, I'm not a male, though it doesn't apply to me. And then half of those folks say, well, I don't, I don't have children, or I'm not married, so it doesn't apply to me. But part of this challenge this morning is to say, no. Stop thinking that way. Let's not consider the challenge to be only that and to only that group of people. So let's notice together in chapter 1, or excuse me, Titus chapter 1, first of all, there's a need. When we look at the chapter or we look at the book as a whole, there is a need. What is the first thing that Paul tells Titus to do? Well, he tells him to set in order the things that are lacking. And what's lacking? Well, you'll find there in your notes that the first thing that needs to happen is to appoint elders. The very first thing out of several things that are mentioned. Now, you know, if you've read the letters of Paul before, that oftentimes he has a list of things that he needs to go through. He has a list of things to encourage the people with. There's several things that are going to be pointed out in one of his epistles. But specifically here in the letter to Titus, the first thing that's mentioned it's to set in order the things that are lacking and to appoint elders. Now, apparently, in reading that, there were several cities around this island. Crete was a small island, and there were several cities and more likely several congregations on that island that did not have elders. And so Paul is telling Titus that he needs to go and travel around amongst these congregations and appoint elders. Now, there are some lessons there for us as we think about just that statement and think about the importance of that being the first thing. There's a couple of lessons we can learn to begin with. First of all, our God is not a God of confusion. Our God is not a God of confusion. Things are to be in order. And one of those things is God's plan for His church. When we think about God's plan for His church, Jesus is the head. We read that in both Colossians and Ephesians, Jesus is the head. Elders are then in place to lead the congregation. Deacons serve under them in a sense, and then members all work together. Our God is not a God of confusion. He wants things to be in order. And so when Paul says that to Titus and gives these instructions, we can know and be reminded and be thankful that our God is not a God of confusion. Well, how do we know that we should do this, that we should appoint elders? Well, he tells other people the same information. You know the other passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
So not only has he told Titus that here in Titus 1, he tells Timothy that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Tells Timothy the same thing of what to do. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 1. Have you ever noticed there? We jump over the greetings a lot of time. But Paul says there to those in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the elders or with the overseers and the deacons. So he's telling others to do the same thing. And so we know that this is something that we should do. So we need elders. Got it. But who are they? What do they look like? Well, let's go on a little further. Let's think about the qualities. You know, with this lesson, you usually hear when we talk about elders, and usually when we're trying to maybe appoint an elder or two, this is the type of thing you hear. You hear about the qualities, and there's nothing wrong with that. We obviously need to understand those. God has set forth a prescription, if you will, and we need to understand what that is. And if we're not careful, we demean or discredit this list. And we don't want to do that because, again, those are there so that we can learn what God wants and what he expects. But here's the thing. Simply by having this list here in Titus chapter 1 and then again in 1 Timothy chapter 3, simply by having this list, a lot of problems are solved. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but a lot of problems are solved simply by having this list that we can look at, these qualities. First of all, there's the problem of argumentation. Think about it. If God just said, have elders, how would we mess that up? I mean, we would probably do a pretty good job of it. Can you imagine what we would do, what humans would do if God simply said, appoint elders? I don't want to get too political here for a second, but we're getting ready to go through something similar in our country Correct? When we think about the Supreme Court and justices, and gladly we would all admit that there is no set specific qualities prescribed by God in that sense, but many of us are looking for a set of qualities, but there's not a lot of standards per se in the same way. And what do we do? We turn it to a political argument, we make it something very large, and then we argue about it. What would we do in the Lord's church if we just simply were able to argue about what we thought needed to happen? Who I thought was the best, who you thought was the best, male, female, Age didn't matter. All these things didn't matter. We would probably have a pretty good argument in our hands every time we wanted to appoint elders. Number two, we're able to avoid dictatorship when we think about the solutions that this list provides. Some of that is not a problem, of course, with the idea of a plurality of elders or multiple elders. But we know with God's prescription, there is no one man who can reign as king, we might say, over the local congregation. And so we're thankful for that. With this list of things... We, have, we ha don't have to worry about the problem of someone being a dictator or a dictatorship. I don't know how close you are with some friends maybe who uh, are part of a denomination, but oftentimes you need to have an organizational chart. Oftentimes that might involve one man being the sole person who makes many of the decisions. And you can see sometimes how that leads to problems among a group of people. God in his divine prescription makes sure that's not a problem we have to deal with. Another one is the good old boy system. We don't have to worry about the good old boy system. Maybe you've been a congregation that has done that, though. They say, well, you know, we need another elder. Well, you know, that brother so-and-so, he's been here for about 30 years. I think he's got to be the next in line, right? He's just the next good old boy we got, so let's just make him an elder. No. The question is, is he qualified to serve in that capacity? Is he qualified based on God's expectations does he fit what God would have him to be you see when we think about the qualities 
We have a lot of solutions that are there for us, first and foremost, just off the bat when we think about that idea in general. But here's the other thing about this list and something that we want to consider. Should not every man and every young man strive to live these qualities that are listed here? They're kind of hidden behind that particular slide. We're going to get to them just really quickly here in just a moment. But I might even go so far as in some ways even our women should strive to have some of these qualities. They're not going to be able to serve as an elder based on God's prescription, but should not certainly every young man and even every man. Because once you move past 18, you're not exempt from thinking about living this way. Once you hit a certain age, you don't move past it. So should not every man and every young man strive to live these qualities? Now, there's two exemptions. There's two things that we can set aside, of course, on this list. You don't have to be married to go to heaven. We know that. You don't have to be married to go to heaven. So while young men should strive to follow this list, they don't have to be married. You also don't have to have children, of course, to go to heaven. That's not necessary in that sense. So we might can set those aside. But, but let's think about some of these other things that are simply mentioned. Number one, above reproach. You've got a little bit of room there. There's about 14 of these. I don't know if you can cram them all in, but I knew... I absolutely knew that if I put the blanks for all of these in there, I would get fired before I even got up here today. Uh, but you might can fill these in as we go around there on your, the bottom of your page. He's to be above reproach. Your Bible might say blameless. If you're looking in your Bible, notice that it's mentioned twice. Twice. Blameless. Well, what does that mean? He's perfect? No, it means he's above reproach. The idea that he is above sinful ways. We might even say that nothing is going to stick to him. That's not that he would do wrong and then it won't stick to him, but that he is above sinful ways. He's above reproach, blameless. Number two, the Bible literally says, and here we get into the family stuff, that he is literally a one-woman man. Some of these may overlap a little bit on the screen, trying to fit them all in there. Apologize for that. But the family stuff comes next, that he is a one-woman man. Well, let me challenge your thinking here for just a moment. If a man... And a young man, and that's who we're talking about, every man and young man, if he is not married, is it not the case that he could still, in a sense, hold to the vows of marriage? Is it not in the sense that he would still do all he could to promote the idea of godly marriages? They honor marriage. What about, we think about having faithful children. Again, what about a man or a young man who does not have children? That's okay. It's not required by the Bible but can a man or young man not be helpful to families and helpful to young children? These things are blessings to the church. And if you are not married or you do not have children, then we understand that maybe you can't serve in this capacity by name, by title, exactly, but maybe you can promote the ideas of marriage and family and children and be that kind of person. Number three or four, excuse me, what about avoiding pride? Avoiding pride or arrogance. Someone who does not have that type of spirit about them, that they are prideful. That it's all about what exactly they can do and the talents that they have. What about avoiding anger or being quick-tempered? You know, he may get upset or he may get angry from time to time. The Bible talks about getting angry and sinning not. So he may get angry from time to time. But we would say about this man that that's not his default way. That is not his default way of acting. Literally, the words here would translate not prone 
to anger. Are you a man or a young man? Or are you someone who is encouraging a man or a young man to avoid anger? What about not a drunkard? Not consuming alcohol in a way that, that at, at all, but it's certainly in a way that would be harmful not only to others but even to himself. We're talking about the kind of man whose soul, whose very soul loves Jesus enough to not put something in his body that would harm his mind and his loving of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Avoiding alcohol. Putting something in our body that would harm our mind. That would harm our ability to encourage others. That is the kind of man that we're talking about. Not violent. It fell off the bottom of the screen there, but not violent. Now think about this. We oftentimes will again fall in this pattern of we read not violent and we sim simply think about punches. I mean, getting in a fist fight. I don't know anyone here who at least has done that recently. Maybe you did it in your past, but, but we're not just talking about not throwing punches. The word there again literally translates to not contentious. Maybe our modern translation, if we were able to put our own spin on it, would say not a pot stirrer. And we understand what that means, right? Do you know someone who likes to stir the pot? That's the idea here. Not violent, yes, not throwing punches, but also not contentious. What about not greedy for gain? Maybe we might say not seeking the things, uh, the wealth of this world. You know, we just talked about this with the idea of idolatry, didn't we, in some of our lessons? Not making that the number one thing. We're thankful for many of you who have worked hard in your lives. Many of you that have done well for yourselves and been able to put aside money and take care of your families, but more importantly than that, be able to give back to the Lord's church and to the work. We're thankful for that. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your family and working hard to earn a good living. But is this a man or a person who is putting that above everything else in their life? Greedy for gain or for filthy lucre. So then we shift from the things that maybe this man should avoid to the things that he is or he does. Hospitable. Hospitable. Literally, a lover of strangers. This man is to be a lover of strangers. We might say he loves people. He loves being around people. Do you know anyone like that? Well, maybe he is a good candidate for an elder, although certainly we want to think about the other things that we've talked about here. Hospitable. What about a lover of good? The King James Version says a lover of good men. He loves all people. Not just a lover of strangers, not just a lover of God's people, but he loves all people. This is his attitude. This is his mindset. There is no question that he loves people. Moving on. He is sober. The R got shifted to the end there, but S-O-B-E-R, sober. Your Bible might say self-controlled. His mind is clear. You, think, you see, we oftentimes think of sobriety in the terms of alcohol, and that's certainly true in a sense, but his mind is simply clear from all things that might bring his mind into trouble, that might cloud his judgment, he is self-controlled or sober. He is just. He is just or upright. He uses that clear mind that he has to make good decisions that are God-directed. He uses that clear, sober mind to make good decisions that are God-directed. Is that who we're talking about? Is that you or someone that you're encouraging? What about holy? Where is he to be holy? 
Do you notice that it doesn't say where he is to be holy? It doesn't. He just is. He is just holy. It's his being to be holy. Not just at the building, the church building. Not at home only. Not just at work. He just always is holy. He's different from the world. People can look at him and tell and might say, he is holy. And again, don't get confused. We would connect it with above reproach or blameless. He's not perfect, but he is striving to be holy. And then finally on our list here, that's self-controlled. The controlled fell off the slide. Self-controlled, you might say disciplined. This goes in with what we talked about just a few moments ago. Sober, self-controlled, disciplined. This can come naturally. It's interesting. Self-control just would come naturally in many ways if he would hold to the other things on this list. But he's disciplined in his life. Here's the question. Which one of these listed here on the screen would not be a blessing to the church? Any man, any young man who holds to these things, which one of those would not be a blessing to the church that meets at Saudi? Whether he is an elder or not, whether he is married or not, whether he has children or not, whether he is 13 or 38 or 88, it doesn't matter. A man or young man holding to these qualities would be a blessing to the church that meets at Saudi. And that is the kind of men that God is looking for. That's the challenge that we're talking about. We'll get to it more specifically in just a moment, but that's what we are considering. Yes, when we appoint elders, we need to consider the qualifications. Yes, when we appoint elders, we need to think about these things. But this is for certain the kind of men that God is looking for to lead His church. But let's continue on and notice there is an emphasis here. There is an emphasis here, and that is on the spiritual side. Well, how do we know that this is talking about the spiritual side? Well, if you're still in your Bible there, you might notice that there's three times that this emphasis is mentioned. In verse number 5, he uses the word being an elder. Again, depending on the version that you may be looking at. In verse number 7, we see the word overseer. Well, what is he overseeing? Well, he is seeing over people. The English Standard Version says, as God's steward. I really like that. I've been thinking about preaching on stewardship in the near future. But to be a steward is to manage something that belongs to someone else. If he is to serve as an overseer, as God's steward, what is he managing? What belongs to someone else? The church. We've been talking about it on Wednesday night. The church, it belongs to God. And look at verse number 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. What's the emphasis? The best budget? Having the best budget among everyone? Is it having the nicest van? The nicest church bus or nicest church van? Is it having the nicest building? The best amenities around? No. It's about men who are trying to help people get to heaven and hold to the truth. It doesn't say he has to be a good businessman. It doesn't say that he has to be a person who is great fun to be around. Both of those can be good and well, but the emphasis is on the spiritual side. And let me add here, 
They are to watch over my spiritual health, not even my physical health. You know, I don't need Jerry Corbin standing over my shoulder every time I want to enjoy my double whopper with cheese. You know, I'm just thankful that he doesn't have to sit there and smack my hand every time that I want a burger from Burger King. But here's the thing. That's really interesting thought in 2020, isn't it? You know, in the past, our elders have made decisions over our physical health. In the past, we've had snowstorms and ice storms, and we've had flooding, dangerous flooding, and they've said, we're not going to meet at the building. We're going to cancel services for one night or one day because we're worried about people's physical health, and we don't want to put them at danger. And we've all been thankful for that. But that's been a little bit of a challenge here in 2020, hasn't it? Because they've had to make a tough decision about how long we might postpone our services. Because for a while, they said, and most of us would rightfully agree, we might need to stop having services for a time because we're unsure of how dangerous this is to people's physical health. But then they also have to step back at times and say, maybe that only goes so far. And then there comes a time when we have to say, well, we're going to have to worry more about people's spiritual health. I, for one, am thankful that on the day of judgment, Charles Abels doesn't have to answer for how many chocolate chip cookies I eat. It's just it. The physical side is not something that they have to stand over each one of our shoulders and say, don't eat that, don't do that. They might from time to time step in and say, we are looking out for your best interests, and we are usually very thankful for that, absolutely. But the emphasis is certainly on the spiritual side. Well, why is that? There's a reason here. You know, Paul doesn't just leave it hanging when he writes to Titus. They have a responsibility to help us in our physical ways sometimes. They might encourage us to be better physically in a sense, or they might cancel services, but there's a reason that the emphasis is on the spiritual here. And if you have your Bible, look at verses 10 through 16. For the sake of time, we won't read through that entire passage. But notice that verse 10 begins with the word for, and even there. So oftentimes this is a transition, and we ask ourselves, what is this there for? And what do the next verses say? Look at the rest of the text. For there are many who are insubordinate. There are deceivers. There are those who need to be rebuked. And so he tells the elders, rebuke them. That's something that they should be doing. What is the reason that they need to worry about the spiritual side? It's because the truth is always under attack. Verse 10 says apparently there, was a, a, there were Jews who were trying to have a hybrid religion. They were maybe trying to practice Christianity, but they were still holding to their Jewish traditions. So he's warning the elders about that. Notice in verse 12 that says that one of the own poets of the Cretans, or those of Crete, says... One of their own poets said about those at Crete, they're lazy. They're lazy and they're evil people. The world can be awful and the truth is always under attack. Why do we need strong elders? So that it doesn't infiltrate the church. Verse 15 says there in that passage, to keep the church pure. We're thankful when they help us with our everyday life. They do take care of us physically We think about even the ways, as we talked about in our Bible class Wednesday night, that as a church here, a church that meets here, the church that meets at Saudi, we take care of people in a benevolent fashion. They give money to those who need help. We provide clothing, as we've already talked about. Those are good things we can do. But our elders are to watch over us spiritually because the truth is always under attack. Do we not see the same thing today? Are there not radical agendas in the world? Are there not people who would promote false ideas? Hear me very clearly. 
I believe in the depths of my bones that it is absolutely, 100% without a doubt, the toughest job that there possibly is here upon earth. And sometimes I look at that and say, I don't envy them and I never want to do it. And then other times I think about the challenge that we're extending today and think maybe I would like to one day. If I continue or want to meet the qualifications I'm able to, it may be the toughest job here on earth, but it's one of the most important jobs. If we're not careful, we fall into the pattern of the world and we promote the preacher. Many people call him the pastor in their church as the number one. He's the guy that maybe speaks the most words from week to week. He's the one that maybe gets up and does the most talking. But that's not exactly or absolutely at all the way that God laid it forth in the Bible. Our elders have the toughest job in defending the truth and watching out for us, sometimes physically, but absolutely spiritually. Go back and remember again the first thing that needs to be set in order that Paul says here in Titus chapter 1 is to appoint elders is that there needs to be solid men serving the Lord's church. What's the challenge? To raise up godly leaders. And I would submit that that doesn't stop at 18 or 38 or maybe even at 88 or anywhere in between. That's the challenge that we're talking about this morning. It's that we as a congregation will raise up a congregation full of godly people. And then from that group of godly people, we can take and select godly men who meet these qualifications, who can then serve as elders. The challenge this morning is that you might, as a person here, encourage some man or some young man and say, I know you can do this. I believe in you. What can I do to help you serve as an elder one day? So, who will accept this challenge? Who will accept this challenge? Who am I talking to? I'm not just talking to 20-year-old men, 30, 40, 50-year-old men. I'm talking to young men. I'm talking to our women teachers who teach our young men. I'm talking to men who are married with children, even men who are not married or don't have children who might encourage other men. I'm talking to parents. I'm talking to grandparents. I'm talking to our current elders, our deacons, yes, the ministers, as we all work together as a group of God's people to be godly and then to encourage our men and young men to be godly leaders. The future of the church depends on who will accept this challenge. And that's just the facts of the case. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our most gracious Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for our elders who are currently serving we thank you for the men of this congregation, many of whom are already striving to hold to these qualities. We pray that you will be with all of us, both as parents, grandparents, men, women, teachers, whatever capacity we serve in, to encourage each other, to encourage all of our men to hold to these qualities so that we can continue to have good elders leading this congregation, not only for 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, but as long as the Lord tarries and does not return. We're thankful for this great challenge and for the great blessing that you've given to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you take your psalm books out if you use them or put your Bible aside for just a moment? As we conclude this lesson, we're about to sing this song. Do you know my Jesus? You know, oftentimes it's the case that our extending of the Lord's invitation does not exactly connect with the sermon. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a man or a young man who's not a Christian. We'll be encouraging you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a man or a young man who's not been living up to these qualities. We'll be singing to encourage you. 
But as we set those thoughts aside for just a moment, as we're gathered, gathered together here as a body of people, we pause to extend the Lord's invitation. It's always open, even as we had the great opportunity to enjoy on Thursday evening together here, a few of us at the building, it's always open. But as we're here and you've been thinking about the Word of God, we pause to encourage you with the words of the psalm that's been selected. Do you know, my Jesus, have you become a Christian? If not, why not? Why not put him on in baptism? Following and obeying God's simple plan of salvation, being baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church. It's the most important decision. Marriage is a close second. Being faithful in the things we've talked about behind that, a very close third, and, and so on and so forth. But the most important decision, that you would become a Christian even this day. Maybe you're here and you've wandered away. In times past, you've become a Christian, but you realize that you've not been living up to these standards that we've talked about. Whether you are a male or a female, you realize that there's sin in your life that separates you from God. As a body of people, we assemble here together to worship God and to sing to encourage one another because no one should have to leave these doors in a few moments wondering about where their eternal place would be, whether they, their life is required this day or the Lord were to return. It's a blessing for us to be together and to encourage one another, even now as we stand together and as we sing.